Happens. Well, good morning, church. Hey, come on, we can do better than that. It's rainy out. Good morning, church. Man, it's so good to be with y'all. My name is Derek. If you're a guest, welcome. Uh, number one priority, if you're a guest, is we pray that you have experienced God today and that you will continue to experience him as we open up the word of God. Uh, last week, Curtis Jones, phenomenal lead pastor, he opened up our Advent series, uh, and we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth and the expectation. Today, we're going to continue in the Advent series, and we're going to look at, at Mary and this encounter that she had with Gabriel. But, but as we open up the scriptures, I, I want us just to remind us of three really easy things to remember, because I don't know about you, there's sometimes I open up the scripture, I'm like, what do I even do? And so I think probably the case is for you. And so if you're taking notes, just write these three things down. When you're opening up the scriptures, when it comes in uh, Monday morning, number one is that when we open up the scripture, we should ask the question, what is being revealed about God and his ways? If we believe this is the word of God, then when I open it, I want to get to know God, his desires, his ways, his commands. I, I want to know God when I open up the scriptures. That's really what the Bible is. It's a story revealing us the, the meta-narrative of, of who God is. And so that's the first question. Whenever you sit down at your dining room table on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, and you're opening up one verse or ten verses, we should say, what am I learning about who God is? And then the second thing is we should say, what do I learn? What's revealed about who I am? What promises have been made to me? What commands are there? What is my identity when it comes to, to God's word? And then the third piece that we, we always need to ask and answer is, is how do I apply what I've just learned? We aren't supposed to be hearers of the word, but, but doers of the word. So what's it look like for me to take these truths that we say bring life? And they're not just hypotheticals. Like there are principles in this book. There's truths in this book that are meant to give you abundant life. So what's it look like when I read the scriptures to apply that? And, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, apply this way of approaching the scriptures this morning. Uh, and we're going to open up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And so the first thing I want us to look at today, if, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is, is that God's criteria is different than man's. God's criteria is different than man's. When I played football in college, I got to play with some amazing athletes, some world-class athletes, some guys that are still playing. I remember Dante Whitner. He's the starting safety for the Cleveland Browns right now. Uh, he uh, was in an apartment beside my wife and I. And Dante and I would play Madden together, and my wife would do both of our laundry. It was a win-win for both of us. But I got to play with some amazing athletes. Uh, thank you, babe, for that, by the way. Um, we got to play with some amazing athletes. And, and one of the guys I was thinking about, I was, I was preparing, and I was looking and saying, like, what's God's criteria? I, I was thinking about this one guy who I played with. He was a few years younger than me, but he was a beast. Like, he was a man among boys. He was ripped. I mean, I've never seen a man that was 255 pounds of pure muscle, like 2 or 3% body fat, like chiseled. Still have never seen a man like this. He also ran a sub 4640. Amazing. Some of you guys are like, dang. 
He also, I think he bench pressed 225 32 times at the combine. 32 times. Guy was a freak. And, and he had a good college career. So good, in fact, that, that his junior year, he actually left college early to go into the NFL draft. And so he went, when he got into the combine, uh, the scouts, NFL scouts, they looked at him and they said, man, this guy's fast. This guy's got big muscles. And, and by the way, he's really, really strong. And he's had a good career. And so these scouts, they looked at him. They had this criteria. They looked at him. But, but on paper, he looked amazing. And because of that, he was drafted number six overall in the draft. He signed a $32 million contract, $32 million contract. But on the day that he was selected, I, I knew something those scouts didn't know. You see, when, when I was playing, and he was a few years younger than me, his freshman year, we were standing on the sidelines together, and it was about to be a special teams play. And the coach comes down to him, his first game ever, never had played in front of 105,000 people at the horseshoe. The coach comes to him and says, hey, uh, next play, uh, you're going to go in. Now, now, I don't know about you, but my first time when the coach said, Derek, you go in this next play, when I'm playing the horseshoe, guess where I was before he could get it done? I was on the field. Because I didn't want him to say, actually, Derek, never mind. I actually meant uh, Darren, not Derek, uh, you go in the field. Like, there was not going to be a choice. I got in there. But this is what his response was. Coach said, hey, you're going to go in the next play. This guy that was drafted number six overall, this is his response. First time ever. He said, coach, I can't. I've got a headache. And, and he went over and, and sat down on the bench with his helmet. Now, now I'm not faulting him for his decision there. But, but what I knew on the inside of this guy was that he did not have a heart for football. He was not built and wired to have an aggression to go out and to dominate. So in college, his sheer physical ability allowed him to dominate. But I knew when he was drafted that it was not going to be good for him in the NFL. And and what happened is he lasted three years in the NFL. He only started five games, and he primarily played special teams. Never recorded a sack. And he goes down in history as one of the biggest busts in the NFL. Now, why is that? See, the NFL scouts, they looked at all the externals. His resume was great, but, but they had no idea what was on the inside of a man. And so as we're asking this question or we're looking at God's criteria is different than man's, we see that God is just not impressed with resumes. You come in today, you got all things working for you. God's not impressed. I'm sorry to disappoint you. This is what we see in 1 Samuel Chapter 16, verse 7, Samuel is hearing from the Lord, and he's about to anoint the next king that's going to take over for Saul. And this is what the Lord tells Samuel. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, see God, he's not impressed by your accolades. He's not impressed by your talents. It says that he looks at your heart, literally the the inner man, the true man. That is what God is concerned about. And so when we look at Mary, we've got to ask the question, why was she given so much favor from God? Why does it say that God is with you, that his favor is upon you, Mary? We need to ask that question. And I think what we see is something we can learn about God. See, if we were just to look at Mary and we said, what was her resume? Why would she be chosen to birth God, man? Why would she be birthed to or be chosen to birth the next king? If we were just looking on paper at Mary, her resume wouldn't have been that impressive. From man's view, if we were looked at Mary, she was likely 12 to 14 years old. She was, she was young. In the culture, that's when they got married. So she was really, really young. 
she was already betrothed to Joseph. Now, betrothal was more than just engagement. She had already entered into a contractual agreement with Joseph and his family that, that she was going to save herself, preserve herself for their wedding day. And so if they were to get a, uh, to break it off, they would actually have to go through the divorce process. And so she was already betrothed to Joseph. So if you're thinking like, man, what's it look like to have God uh, come into the earth through a woman? Like, I don't know if I'm going to pick a woman who's already betrothed. I mean, that may look bad. And then not to mention that, if we're talking about birthing a king, Mary was of the lower working class. She didn't have all the accolades of having the finest living and knowing the greatest one. She was just a normal person like you and like me. And not to mention, she was from Nazareth, which was a small working class town. That would be like the next president of the United States coming from Brookshire. Like it's possible, but probably not likely, like small town. So if we looked at Mary, my criteria for selecting somebody, I'm not sure if she's going to pass the visual test. Externally, she doesn't look like it. But, but then we find out something. We find out that God's criteria is a little different than man's. And when he looks at Mary, here's two things that I believe he sees. He sees a woman who is full of faith. And he sees a woman of great humility. Now, when I say faith, uh, I'm I'm talking about uh, somebody who trusts enough that leads them to action or obedience. That's what real faith is. It's not just I say I I trust you, but that trust leads me to action. And so this is what we see in Mary's life. And if we fast forward 30 years where Jesus is about ready to step into his ministry, he and Mary are at a wedding and it's going amazing. And then the worst thing ever at a wedding could happen. They ran out of wine. And some of you are like, no, not at my wedding. That's not going to happen. Trust me open tab, like it's not going to happen. But they get there and, and it runs, she runs out of wine. And so what's Mary do? She goes to her son, Jesus, and she says, hey, Jesus, you need to do something about this. And, and Jesus respectfully tells her, hey, hey, mama, um, my time, it's, it's not here yet. <laughs> and Mary says, okay, um, hey, it's servants, whatever he says to do, do it. You see, the faith of Mary And we know the story, the servants, they go and fill up a bunch of jars of water and they bring it back and Jesus has turned the water into wine. It's his first public miracle. You see, see, Mary was a woman of faith and I believe that's one reason why God had favor upon her because she trusted him. And not only did she have faith, she was a woman of great humility. If you flip over one page in your Bible, there's a song that Mary sings. It's called Mary's Song of Praise, the Magnificent. And when we're talking about humility, what my definition of humility is I've got a proper perspective of who God is and who I am. So I don't see myself a, a too high. I also don't see myself too low. I see myself as God sees me. That's true humility. Proper perspective of God and proper perspective of who I am in comparison to God. And we see Mary, she sings this song. And I think it just captures beautifully her spirit of humility. Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. The whole and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him for generations to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty with their thrones and exalted those of humble 
a state. You see, Mary, she had an accurate picture of who God was and who she was. And I believe it's this combination of humility and faith that prepared Mary to receive this word from the angel that she would carry the child of God. Now, what does this mean to us? What does Mary have to do with us? What's her life and her response have to do with us? Here's here's what hope I think it stirs in me. That this means that my success or my failures, my purity or my impurity, my wealth or my need, my massive social media following, or if my parents are my only followers, none of these disqualify me or qualify me to be used by God. Amen? And so what I, what I see here is that God is looking for somebody with faith, somebody who will trust him when it doesn't make sense, somebody with humility so when they step into success, they step into uh, people lifting them up, or when things go bad, at the same time, they're going to look at God and say, God, I trust you, and I humbly follow you. And I believe this is why Mary found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so for us, we need to ask the question, is your life marked with humility? Would your best friend say that about you? Is your life marked with faith? Because what I think we see in Mary is in God's economy, faith and humility have much more value than external accomplishments or an impressive resume. And I don't know about you, but that gives me great hope that God can use any one of us if we would just say, God, I trust you and I humble myself to follow you. None of us are off limits for God. His grace is sufficient and we see this in Mary's life. And you say, Derek, how do I grow in humility? How do I grow in faith? And and I'd say the first thing is to ask for it. When's the last time you asked God for more humility? Or when's the last time you asked God for more faith? I had a mentor, a great mentor back in Ohio, and he would challenge me all the time about walking in humility. And he said one of the things that he learned to do, just the discipline of his faith, he said if you want to grow in humility, serve someone who can't return the favor in a way that nobody ever finds out. Make it a consistent practice. Serving somebody else where nobody else will see you in a way where they can never pay you back. That drives humility. And if you say, how do I grow in faith? I know what the scriptures say, that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so when's the last time you open up the scriptures and, and you said, God, will you speak to me? Will you grow my faith? These are the foundations of our faith, to walk in faith, to walk in humility. The second thing that I want us to look at today is that God's ways are different than mine. God's ways are different than mine. We see this in Isaiah 55, eight through nine. This is the Lord speaking to Isaiah. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are Your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so what God is saying, listen, you think you have me figured out? You don't. Like you think you know what my next step is gonna be? Like you don't because my my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. And so we see this in this first chapter of Luke that God's ways are, are different than my ways. If you look at verse 31, step back to another page. Mary continues and the angel is speaking and he says, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Which is a great question, by the way. She's like, hey, like, I, I, I went to health class, and um, I don't know, God, if you got that semester in college, but, but there's a, something that has to happen, and that thing hasn't happened to me yet, so, so how am I going to have this baby? The great question she has. She's a very, very intelligent lady. And then verse 30, 35, though, the angel responds, and this is where uh, God's ways are different than my ways. Uh, his ways are way above what I could think of. And it says in verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived the Son. And this in the sixth month with her who is called barren. And, and so we see this, this scenario drawing out and we see Mary, she says, how can this be so? In my mind, angel, like that doesn't work out. Like I can't be a virgin and also conceive a child. Like that doesn't, that, that blows my mind. The same thing that Zachariah thought when the angel came to him, when he was in the presence of God, offering incense. And he said, you're gonna have a child. And, and Abraham's like, whoa, 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 how is that possible? I'm an old man, and my wife, she's advanced in years. How is that going to be? And maybe you've experienced this same thing. We come against the challenge. We come against the situation where it looks like a lose, lose. And what do we do? We immediately start looking at our abilities. We immediately check down to, okay, what have I done, Derek, in the past? What can I do right now? Like, what kind of... Things can I make happen? And when we do that, we fail to recognize God's ability. And in the midst of that, we begin to lose hope. And we begin to lower our expectations. Lower and lower. Has anybody else ever experienced this? Where something in life happens and you're like, man, there's no way. In the natural, like there is no way. I've been there and I think Mary and Zachariah were there. So we see, though, uh, in both of these stories that, that God makes a way where there is no way. So we see that God works supernaturally in both of these. And so uh, I think as we look at this, we can, we can kind of try to understand who God is. We can look at him two things. Number one, God works supernaturally through the natural. God works supernaturally through the natural. And you say, what do I mean? Well, here's the thing. Um, I believe that God works through all kinds of different things, through relationships, through divine appointments, through the weather, through whatever it is in the natural. God can work that for his glory. And we see this in Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, now, maybe you're not thinking like I'm thinking in this moment, but, but I, I know that when God said you're going to have a son, Zechariah, it, it wasn't from the Holy Spirit. It was a natural process of procreation. And Curtis is going to be here. He's going to explain all that next week if you want to come back and say, like, how does that work? But, but it was a natural means that, that John the Baptist was conceived in his mother Elizabeth. It was natural. God worked supernatural, what was not possible, through natural means. Are y'all following me? And so God works supernatural through the natural, whether that's through friendships, whether that's I'm praying for, for God to break through my finances. And wouldn't you know, my boss comes and, and gives me a bonus or gives me a promotion. When we were, just a few years ago, really wrestling with changing careers. I was in the corporate world 
and uh, we were on the verge of, of making a decision. There were some opportunities in front of us, and one of the opportunities was to go into another corporate job where I would make more money, and, and that job came with a signing bonus. And everybody said amen to signing bonuses, right? Amen, especially in this economy, right? And then I had another job uh, that would be a little bit more risky, but was really what I felt like God was stirring me to. And I know that there would probably be some financial implications to our family, that there would be just a, a lot of just hard times with my family. But we felt like that's what God was calling us to, to leave the comfy life of the corporate world and, and enter into this, this new season of life. And so we, we left my corporate job, we left the corporate opportunity, and we stepped into this, knowing what was going to happen. We were just asking God, God, will you provide for us? Well, uh, as we were stepping into that new job, uh, we were with a group of friends, and, um, and somebody said, hey, um, I was praying for you, and I felt like the Lord was stirring me up, and, and I knew that you uh, we're going to be going through some financial hard times and kind of things were kind of up in the air. And so I felt like God told me to give you this and she handed me a check. And I said, man, I'm so honored. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I took the check and my wife and I got out in the car thinking, you know, man, how great of God. It's like $50 check. Like, that'll be amazing. Like, thank you, Jesus. Like, it's so good. And we get in the car and we're sitting in our van, our minivan, and I open up the check and I began to weep. <laughs> It was a check for $5,000. And it was the exact amount that I had walked away from for that signing bonus. So you see, that's God supernaturally working through the natural. That's what we see him do all the time. If we would just open our eyes and step into what he's doing. But not only do we see God work supernaturally through the natural, we also see God work supernatural through the supernatural. And we see this. Uh, Mary's pregnancy was supernatural. She was a virgin. She had not been with a man yet that the Holy Spirit came upon her, not natural whatsoever, and conceived the child, not just any child, but the God child, Emmanuel. And so we see God in this specific phase. He works supernaturally through the supernatural. And we see Jesus, this is the life that he lived. When he was healing the sick, supernatural. Raising the dead, supernatural. Casting out demons, supernatural. Doesn't line up with the physics courses that I took at The Ohio State University. God works supernaturally through the supernatural, and I believe that he still does those things. Amen? Uh, just uh, a month ago or so, I was preaching up in Missouri, guest preaching up in Missouri, and I had finished, uh, I think it was a Saturday night service, I finished the service, and I'm standing down there, and they said, anybody who wants to get prayed for, you just come down. And so this, this older man comes down, and he's leaning on a cane, and he's really taking his time coming down, and he says, hey, son, young man, would you pray for my knee and my foot because there's so much pain, I can barely get around. It, it's just grace that I was here tonight, but would you pray for me? And so I said, yes, sir, of course. And so I, I knelt down, and I just said, man, God, you love this guy so much. Would you heal him in the name of Jesus? And I prayed over his knee, and then I laid my hands on his ankle, and I just prayed for him. And honestly, I, I didn't feel anything at all in those moments. I wish I could tell you some supernatural thing where I'm like, hey, this guy's healed in the name of Jesus. Like, there was none of that. And so I'm back here in Houston, and I get an email a week later. And it said, hey, Derek, this is the guy that you prayed for. Um, I waited a week because I didn't want to get caught up in some emotional frenzy. I didn't want to get caught up in me just thinking everything was right. But, but when you prayed for me, my knee got really warm and my ankle got really warm. And when I walked away, I was completely healed. And I stand today a week later and I'm completely free of pain. Completely. 
Somebody say amen. Come on. I mean, that is amazing. Now, here's the great thing. The good news for you, that is not about Derek. Everybody better say amen on that one. Listen, the same anointing I have is the same anointing you have. It's the same anointing that Jesus had. You have the Holy Spirit in you. He's upon you. And so we see God supernaturally works through the supernatural. He desires to, in this world, to bring him glory. And as I was viewing Twitter this week and I was looking for some theology, I found an amazing quote. And I thought it was apt. Uh, now, it comes from in-house. Uh, our, our very own Miss Beth Moore, she is dropping theology on Twitter like crazy. This is what she said. This, the, the, the thing is, if you make no place in your theology for God to still work miraculously, you'll never fulfill your calling. It's beyond you. You guys get that? Like, if you want to fulfill the calling that God has on your life, it's only through the miraculous of God because you can't do what he's called you to do apart from him. And so we've got to stretch our theology a little bit and say, what does God want to do in me and through me so that I can fulfill the purposes that he has in my life? And then another guy that I was, uh, I'm a big fan of and I really look up to, uh, his name's A.W. Tozer. He he says this, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity we plan to only do the things that we can do ourselves. And when's the last time that you prayed a prayer that would be impossible if God didn't show up? We see the angel, he, he left Mary with this last response after he told her about Elizabeth. He says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Listen, church, God is able. His ways are not mine and they're not yours. God is able. There are no dead ends when God is involved. When circumstances seem too overwhelming, when hope is slipping away, when there is no solution in the natural, God is able to make a way where there is no way. God's ways are different than ours. And so I want us to encourage us all today to let that stir our faith that with God there is nothing impossible. So no matter what you're bringing here today, no matter what struggle with sin and temptation, no matter what financial peace, no no matter what relational tension that you're walking in here today, if, if you don't have hope, you don't have the same God I have. And if you don't have hope, let these words ring true in your heart today. Let the spirit bring them alive. With God, nothing is impossible. May we not just be people that think that, but maybe we be a people that actually live that out. And so the first two things we see are what can we learn about God? Man, his criteria is different than man. His ways are different than mine. And the third thing that we see today is our response is different than the world's. Our response is different than the world. Look what Mary said in verse 38. She's received this message, and in verse 38, this is what Mary said. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What was Mary saying? She was, first off, she was saying, I'm gonna humble myself. God, I I am your servant. I recognize you are God and I am not. 
So Mary, just as we talked about earlier, she humbled herself before God. She recognized his location is far above her and I am his servant. That's what Mary recognized. She, she humbly confessed, I am your servant. She also confessed faith. Whatever you have for me, God, whatever that is, I, I trust you. I trust you, even if it means it's gonna cost me. See, the world's response is this. Self-motivation self-exaltation, self-preservation. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to a different response. We are called to express our faith with obedience, to surrender to God, even when it leads to personal risk or cost. And this is the example we see in Mary. Mary, when she got this word from God, we see it and man, think that's so awesome that God could use Mary but just imagine the process in those few seconds when she heard this word, what she would have considered. In this culture, she would have known that if she got pregnant before she was married to Joseph, that her family would disown her. That, that if she conceived the child, that her betrothed-to-be husband, Joseph, he would likely disown her and divorce her and leave her by herself. And worst case scenario, in this culture, in this day and age, if she had a conceived child and it appeared that she had broken the covenant of marriage between her and Joseph, she could have been stoned to death. Mary recognized that there was going to be a cost. And what does she do? She says, Lord, I am your servant. I surrender to you. Let it be done to me as your word has said. See, saying yes to God despite the cost is central to being a disciple of Jesus because it was the lifestyle of Jesus. I want you to turn to one last passage here before we close today, Philippians chapter two. And what we see, the lifestyle of Jesus, it was one of surrender. It was one where he said yes to the Father. Jesus himself said, I only say what the Father says and I only do what the Father is doing. He lived a life saying yes, despite the personal cost to Jesus. And we see Paul, he writes to the church of Philippi in chapter two of Philippians, verse five. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he's urging them to do what Jesus did. Listen to this. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, to follow Jesus means that we also embrace his lifestyle. And the lifestyle of Jesus was surrender to the Father And we see here that he lived a life where he humbled himself. And in front of the Father, he he said, yes. Even when it meant that he was going to be killed. That's why we see him in, in the garden as he's praying before he's crucified. He says, Father, if there's any way, any way you can take this away from me, and any other way that you can make this happen, let that be so. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. As we fix our eyes on the coming of Jesus this Advent season, let us remember that our faith and humility prepare us for God's favor. 
but our obedience ultimately brings him glory. And so today in a spirit of just calm and rest and peace, what is the Lord saying today, this morning to you? What is he stirring up in you? What is he encouraging you? What is he convicting you? What is he saying this morning? And specifically, what area today, as we step forward and closer and closer to the celebration of his coming, what area of your life do you need to surrender to him and to say, God, I trust you. I know you've forgiven me. I know your grace is abounding in my life. You've given me abundant life today and forever. But just as Jesus lived a life of obedience, what's it look like for me today to step out of this place into the real world and say, God, I trust you. I humble myself. You are my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you. What's that look like? Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your sovereign hand that's been throughout history. I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you that we come today uh, in your presence, that you've made us your sons and daughters. Lord, I do ask that you would uh, increase our faith, uh, increase our humility, so that we can receive the favors, so that we can step out and be used by you in this world. And so ultimately, we can step out in obedience to bring you glory. Lord, stir us up to follow you, even when it means it costs something, just like Mary did. In Jesus' name.